All right, guys, we want to welcome you out to another Played Loss Harley-Davidson podcast. Uh, this is episode number seven, seven right, Keith? Seven, yep, I'm number seven now. All right, man, we're rocking them up here. So we have a really cool guest today. We've got Mike Davis here today. He's one of the co-founders, along with his friend, Grant Peterson, who founded the Born Free Show. And for those of you who watch my channel, I've done a lot of like full coverage stuff at the Born Free Show. It's arguably the biggest custom motorcycle show in the world. And um, anyways, Mike, yeah, happy to have you out, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. So we're going to talk a little bit about Mike and how he started. You know, really, I think, you know, if you follow Mike on like his social media platforms and things like that, he's really into the whole vintage scene, cars, motorcycles, which is where we're going to spend the most time on. But uh, let's talk a little bit, Mike, about, you know, what really kind of started your passion for, you know, all things vintage. And, and you know, before you even started the Born Free Show, like what started kind of your passion for two wheels growing up? Well, it definitely wasn't the street bike thing. You know, I was into dirt bikes, mini bikes, quads, three-wheelers, all that stuff as a kid. <clears throat> you know, growing up in Fresno is where I grew up, not out here in Southern California. And me and my brother and my buddies, you know, anything with a motor we were interested in, you know, goat carts or whatever. So always had a big passion for dirt bikes, got into the three-wheelers pretty heavy when that was popular, and then got, awesome. into, got into quads. And then um, kind of took a break off of that and got into old cars, you know, my dad and friends were into old cars and kind of went that way. My first uh, vehicle was a 56 Chevy pickup that nice. I got for my grandpa, you know, when I turned 15. So I was just always into old stuff. I don't know, just something, you know, growing up where I did and what I was into. And, and then when I moved out here um, in 95, uh, I started seeing some, you know, I was still into the old car thing and I'd go to all the swap meets and shows and stuff like that. Met some dudes that were into it. And then one day, that was probably like nine late nineties. A buddy of mine showed up with this triumph chopper thing and I'd never even seen anything like it before. I don't know why I'm sure they were out there, but it just blew my mind. And it was just like, that's all I could think about every day. It was just like, how do I get one of these things? I had no idea how they worked. Yeah. Uh, didn't know anything about British stuff. Never even really even seen a triumph, believe it or not. And just, it just consumed all my thoughts and just was obsessed on it. How old were you at this time? Uh, so it was like, 30, I don't know, late 30s, mid, yeah, maybe mid 30s. Okay, and that's when you first yeah. saw that Triumph and you yeah. just kind of fell in love with it right yep. then and there. Yep, absolutely. And then he, you know, started talking to him about it and he had had it for a little while and stuff and then started looking for one, went on Craigslist and did the whole thing and found some, you know, clacked out BSA thing and bought it and immediately took it apart, <laughs> which you shouldn't do. <laughs> Recommend do not taking them apart. And it set my garage for about six months. Finally got it back together, rode it around, you know, scared the crap out of me. Chain came off and on the street and the whole deal. And I was just hooked, man. That was, that was like the beginning. So were you a mechanic when you decided to start taking motorcycles apart or? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, and if anybody knows about anything about British bikes, you know, you have to have special tools and yep. just as simple as some of them can be, they can be extremely difficult. You know, you can't just run to Home Depot and buy, you know, hardware and there's very few shops that have stuff. It's yeah, not me like, yeah, mechanically they're simple, but like the devil's in the details with them. Like the, all the, like you say, and all the hardware's a special size. You gotta have a special tool to use it. The thread pitch is not what you're used to. Yeah. It's exactly. They're a labor of love, man. You gotta like every little part, you gotta look for them. Yeah. And there's not that many shops yeah. either. So you can't really, you know, pick too many people's brains, but luckily there was a guy, he'd passed away. Now he had a shop in Anaheim and we became real close. It was Moore cycle. His name was Keith Moore. He's a great guy. And he basically taught me everything about British bikes. And that's what I was into at that time, you know, it's, since it's progressed. And I still do like them, but, you know, Harley is like where my heart is now. 
Yeah, well, so you, if you started with the Harley-Davidson to begin with, the Harleys, and I'm not a mechanic, um, but I would assume the Harley's probably easier to work on than the British bikes, uh, right? Yeah. So you kind of started... Especially vintage. <laughs> you, you started with the hard bike as your as your learner bike, quote-unquote, right? Yeah, but you know what? I still feel like the British bikes are easier really? than the Harley. Yeah, I mean, I can do a few things on a Harley. I'm no mechanic by any stretch or a builder or anything like that, but the British bikes, I feel like I could take them apart, fix them, put them back together. Harley, I'm always going to need help. You know, and, and use somebody, a friend or whatever. I don't know, just a comfort level, I think. So talk about your, what was your first Harley-Davidson you ever owned? So the first one I got um, was a panhead chopper from actually one of our builders this year. So John Edwards and I have been friends for a long time. And he built this incredible panhead chopper. And, um, we, we you know, he, he was trying to help me find one. So I found this, this bike out on Craigslist. It was a 57 panhead. And uh, I went out there to see it and fell in love with it. It was like a stock bike. And this guy was super cool. He said, oh, man, my phone's been ringing off the hook. You're the first one here. And uh, I'm like, let's do it. You know, I'll buy it. I want it. I think it was about 10 grand, which was not cheap, but I saved up and stuff. And I was getting ready to load the bike up. And he's like, well, where are you going to put all the the parts in the sidecar? And I just was like, what? (laughs) You didn't know it came with the sidecar? Or the parts. So he's like, no, yeah, come over here. So we went in the garage and it was like, a load of parts, wow. like killer parts. That's a fan right there. Builder's dream, right? Van head yeah. parts, crates, like of the Yikes. good stuff, not aftermarket, like real parts. And then it had a sidecar. It was a 38 sidecar, like in immaculate condition. Nice. Wow. That's so, awesome. I mean, I was like shaking all the way home. I rented a U-Haul trailer. I get home and, uh, and my buddy comes over and he looks at it and he's like, he wanted that stock bike. So I said, okay, I'll trade you your chopper because I really wanted a chopper. You know, today I would have kept the stalker. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He actually still has a bike, and uh, we traded. I didn't give him the parts or the, the sidecar. So I ended up selling all of that and got the whole thing for free. Sure. <laughs> so that's when I realized, oh, crap, you know, if you do this right and you look and you search and you find, you can make it work for you. Yeah. So that's kind of how I started buying all the bikes and selling in the parts. That was my first, like, real experience on, like, you can do good, but you got to be out there and, you know, willing to put the time and work in. Yeah, you don't find stuff like that all the time. Like, yeah, especially nowadays, too. That's really hard to come by a deal like that. Now everybody's doing it. I mean, not that I was the first. Guys have been doing parts and swap meets for 100 years. But at that time, it just didn't seem like it was going on as much, especially with younger guys. Sure. So, so you got the 57 pan, you traded it to your friend, and your friend traded you back a chopper. What, what was that chopper? It was a 52 pan. Actually, I kept it a while and then ended up selling it back to him, believe it or not. He really <laughs> wanted it. He finished the bike. It's it's actually probably one of the coolest panhead choppers ever built. I mean, you can Google really? it and find it, and it's been around. It's it's exchanged a few hands since he doesn't own it and wish he did now, but it's it was a great bike. I mean, it's a iconic, you know, traditional 60s-style, you know, panhead chopper. I'm going to flash a picture up on the screen. What would I Google search for to find that bike? Probably John Edwards panhead. Okay. You know, I think it would come up like that. All right, I'll flash a picture up on. For those of you watching on YouTube, I'm going to have a picture of uh, a, a few things. If you're listening via podcast, by the way, check out the YouTube as well because you got a, vis- a visual of everything. It's a little bit better experience. But anyway, so very cool. So it sounds like you kind of started with buying and selling and kind of just like a hobby with vintage stuff, which kind of maybe laid the groundwork for Born Free. Is that right? Or Yeah, absolutely. So as, you know, as I got more into the scene, if you want to call it that, when we were running around with guys that had vintage bikes and – ended up having quite a few, you know, quite a few friends that had them. 
So, um, you know, we were going to this little cafe on Saturday or Sunday and, and a lot of bikes would show up and we started talking and I, that's when I met my partner, uh, Grant Peterson, we were just talking about bikes and exchanging, you know, info. And one day we just said, man, it'd be cool to just do a little show with all of our friends because we had, you know, 20, 30 guys that all had killer bikes. And I was going to all the shows anyway. I was going to all the easy rider shows and any kind of motorcycle show that was around. Cause I was into it, watched yeah. all the TV shows and, you know, I was obsessed with motorcycles but realized that those shows really didn't have um, as many bikes that we liked at the time. You know, yeah. a lot of them were more modern or that modern chopper, yeah. you know, or OCC type stuff, which I, I love that show. I don't care what anybody said. I, I watched it, all those biker build-offs. I mean, like, I'm not afraid to admit all that. I watched every one of those things. The Jesse James Monster Garage. All of it. Stuff. Yeah, every single one. I was bringing that back, actually. Really? <laughs> the other day, yeah. I think a lot of people watch that. Like, I don't I don't think there's anything to, to no, be ashamed of for watching too. Those. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like, they, regardless of what the production value was it, and what it really meant, they had a lot of, like, neat <clears throat> bikes and cool ideas. Yeah, I mean, and there's a little bit of Hollywood in there. They're stretching the but... envelope a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there was nothing else to watch like it. And, and it's right. funny, a lot of the guys that we know that are in the space today worked on those shows or work for Jesse or, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm friends with Chica and, you know, my buddy John worked with Chica and like there was, there's still a lot of those guys floating around doing their own thing now, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I was just all hooked, you know? Very so cool. we started talking about doing a little show and we decided to, um, do a ride. So we went out to cook's corner. I think it was a Saturday and we invited some people and I don't know, it's like, 20, 30, 40 guys showed up. We did this little ride through Laguna and all this stuff. And it was, it was fun. We got a good turnout. It was all old bikes, which was neat. And then we just started talking more. We did another ride. Um, and then we decided let's, let's try to do a proper show. About what time was this? Like what year? This was like 2008. Okay. I think the birth first born free was in, in 2009, but yeah, 2008, we started talking. And then in about a month's time, we hatched the plan to do born free one. And it was at a, it was at a, actually at a buddy shop. It was a triumph shop in orange that was near where we lived and, uh, threw it together in a month. And this was the time when blogs and stuff like that were really big. And there was just a few, um, you know, motorcycle websites like jockey journal, you know, forums like that. So, you know, you post your event on a yeah. forum, you know, and, and, and I had a blog that I had been selling parts off of and putting up, you know, naked chicks and all kinds of fun stuff for years, weird stuff. And uh, I posted the, the, you know, the show on there and we, uh, we got some good traction. So within 30 days, we had a little flyer we put together, we made t-shirts and we had a couple of partners at that time besides Grant and myself. Um, so we, us three at Born Free One put the show together, did everything ourselves. You know, we had a taco lady, everything was free, free beer, free hot dogs, free tacos. And we had about... I want to say we had about 500 people show up. Wow. You know, we were just in there the parking lot of a bike shop. And That's we probably had you know, like 100 bikes, which, you know, if you see 100 vintage bikes in one space, that's, that's, that's a good amount. That's a lot, yeah. 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 So it was only vintage bikes that were kind of allowed. And, like, did, did people sign up to actually be in the show? Or was it just kind of like, hey, show up and show off your, your bike? Yeah, it was, it was just a free-for-all. I mean, we didn't say don't ride your new bike. Certainly there were new yeah. bikes there parked in the street because the little private drive was small, and, and we had it all blocked off just for parking. So I'm sure there were tons of newer stuff, you know, out there. But the show at, itself at the time was just a vintage platform. We were promoting it as Born Free Vintage Motorcycle Show. Cool. So, but we got a great turnout. It was a ton of fun. It was probably 105 degrees. Mm-hmm. It was in September, which is ironic. That's the new date of this show. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, we had a blast. I mean, we, we did all these vintage trophies. We actually had guys from other areas. Um, we had this group from Chicago who came out and some other guys that were following the webs the blogs and, you know, everybody was kind of being friendly over the internet, but we had never really met in person the way we have now, but it was cool. So guys would travel and stuff. So we had a really good turnout and all this diverse crowd and it just was, you know, it was like an eye opener. It was like, wow, man, this was cool. You know, we had people traveling from Chicago for born free one, the very first one. I don't know if they were here just for this or mm-hmm. they saw it or maybe, but I, mean, okay. I really talked to the guys about it, but we had, you know, guys from Minneapolis, guys from Chicago, guys from the, that area. There's a pretty good chopper crowd out there, and they and they showed up. Very you cool. Know, and yeah, at that time, he's talking about, like, nobody was doing, like, a vintage bike show, really. Like, so and that that arena was kind of small back then. That world traveled fast, you know, and to get 100 bikes back then, 100 vintage bikes in one spot, that's that's crazy. Like, yeah, your first that year. Didn't, that, didn't ha- that didn't happen back then, you know. Not like it does nowadays, like how big it's gotten, but, yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, we had some guys from the Bay Area. You know, there's some really heavy-duty chopper guys up there, and they came down. Um, A buddy who was a really good, like, a professional photographer set up a little little studio thing kind of deal, and we, I don't know, we shot 15 bikes or something there, and it looked really good. You know, we started posting those photos and photos of the show, and just word got out, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, just kind of all snowballed from there. Very cool. So the very next year you had number two, like, around the same time, or – so the next year, uh, I ran into a guy who just actually passed away, Mike O'Brien from Pacific Coast Cycles in Signal Hill. And um, I went to his shop to buy some parts and start telling him, we were talking, and he started telling him about our show and uh, how great it was. And he was into vintage stuff and like an old biker guy, but super cool. And um, he said, man, why don't you do your next show at our shop, like at his shop? So I'm like, sure, you know, that sounds great. Let's do it. You know, it was a cool old bike shop. With yeah. the you know at the building in the back and the building up front and it was on a it was on a street in Signal Hill so I'm like this sounds great you know let's do it and uh, realized at that time this is kind of how this whole thing started like you know you can't just do whatever you want to do you know in, uh, in in you know in a city street in a business mm-hmm. so we try to do it the right way so I went you know applied for the permit and all that ended up having to do like traffic plans and meet with city plan I mean it was insane. Like, we didn't even get the permit to do the show until the night before. Wow. <laughs> so we went from this fun little bike show or just show up, have fun, who cares, you know, to like I'm sitting in, you know, wearing a suit and tie, sitting in a city meeting and explaining what we're doing and put a presentation wow. together. And, I mean, they literally dropped off like 400 street signs with detours, and we had to go set them all up oh my off, of, off of a map. So it's, wow. what started as a fun little thing turned into all business really quickly. And it was the most, it was so stressful. I mean, you know, now we know what we know, you know, the permits are very important, but we know how it works. But not having that permit until the day before was like, was scary. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like yeah. super, <laughs> super stressful. But we right. planned, a, you know, a, an after party and we had all kinds of, we, we, had, we got some sponsors at that time. Harley wasn't in, but we did have a few others. And uh, we ended up having a buddy who, had a connection at PAPS and they delivered 500 can or 5,000 uh, cans of PAPS and we gave it all away for free, which you can't do that. <laughs> you know, can't give away beer. You got to have a liquor license and all that. We didn't know that. And okay. we also had the same taco lady who uh, told me she could feed 200 people. We, p- we paid her and ended up feeding about 2000 people. Like she somehow <laughs> stretched it. So it was pretty crazy. 
It was like Jesus and the fish and the bread. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we had 5,000 cans cans of paps. We had the taco lady. We had six porta potties. We we actually rented porta potties. Uh We're like, oh, six should be fine. But about 5,000 people showed up. 5,000? Yep. Wow. So 5,000 people showed up, and we had everybody from all walks of life. I mean, every bike club was there. Every, you know, doesn't matter. Nationality was there. All kinds of bikes. A lot of, I mean, mainly vintage stuff, but there was everything. And everybody got along great. We didn't have one problem, one arrest, one fight, nothing. It was, it was insane. Like, the whole day was just, like, nuts. You know, we were on a, we closed down a street. It was like a block party. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody was having a great time, just drinking, partying, eating, you know, BSing, and it was just unreal. And you just promoted this thing on your blog, or were there other avenues you're promoting this through? It was the same deal. We at that time, then we started our Born Free blog. And we okay. the website thing wasn't around, but we started a Born Free blog. And we were doing it there, and then a lot of people at that time had blogs as well. Um, mm-hmm. It just was a popular thing, and there was a lot of stuff in the motorcycle world, so everybody was posting it, and people knew. You know, we didn't pay for any advertising. I think we might have done some stuff with some Dice Magazine and Friends, small mm-hmm. mags, but nothing like, uh, you know, real magazines at that time. Um, but, yeah, we just kind of word of mouth got out and, you know, did the flyers and went to Long Beach Swap Meet and all the local stuff and, you know, did the groundwork, dropped flyers off at people's shops and stuff. And uh, Grassroots, yeah, organic. Exactly. Street yeah. team style. Yep. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yep. That's exactly how we did it. You know, something you said, Mike, that I think is very interesting. You know, I didn't start going, uh, regrettably, I didn't start going to Born Free until I want to say, um, I probably went about five years ago. So maybe like Born Free, I don't know, like seven or eight or something like that. Um, but you talk about how everybody just comes, comes together. There's a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life and everyone just kind of seems to get along, you know, and I think sometimes uh, biker scenes and the biker crowd and parties kind of get a bad rap about, know there's a lot of you know uh, biker gangs there and and things happen and people start fighting and stuff but that was not the environment every time i've been to born free the environment could not be more friendly just good camaraderie around people that had a like interest in just the love of motorcycles um and i think that's something that's just so cool and um, we'll get into this a little in a little bit but you know even your other events like the uh, the stampede and everything once again just a very like I, i would have no problem bringing my kids that are you know six eight years old to these shows and feel like you know nothing's going to go down their safety isn't going to be at risk and it's just a very cool like wholesome activity so i think that's very cool um so okay so let's talk i guess we can kind of lump the next few years together so born free three four five like did you start did you keep jumping avenues or did you kind of settle into one uh, excuse me venue eventually or what happened the next few years yeah so after the signal hill thing (laughs) we actually wanted to go back and uh, Mike, who owned the shop, was really excited. I mean, he, he, to the day he died, called it the party of the century. Like, he told every person <laughs> he ever came in contact with that he had the party of the century at his shop. Like, he, he loved it more than we did, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tried to go back, and um, we couldn't. The, even though the Long Beach or the Signal Hill PD, at the day of, or, you know, at the end of the show, we were in the streets picking up all the cans and trash and cleaned everything up, and they were like, man, this was great. He's like, yeah. we were a little worried. Certainly had way more people than you thought because I think I put down like 200 <laughs> people maybe <laughs> on the permit. You know, he's like, we were outnumbered, but they didn't have one arrest, one problem. So they were they were really friendly and like patting us on the back, basically. Then when we went back to do it, they said, no. Mm. said, you can't do it. You know, we it was it was too big. You had, you know, they, they cited a bunch of stuff, which who knows if it ever happened. But they never said at the day of. I mean, everything was great. Not, not violence or anything, but just 
yeah, but guys were smoking weed and stuff, and it wasn't legal at the time, and there was some adult activity going on right. here and there, you know, just just whatever. Right. So we decided, well, we got to find a new venue, and then um, we found Oak Canyon, which we've been at since, out in uh, you know out in Silverado Canyon behind Irvine Lake, and we went out there. And there had been events out there before. There's the Hoot Nanny and there's car shows and stuff. But we went out there and just fell in love. Like right. 17 acres, pond, park. It feels like you're riding somewhere. Yeah. You know, so even though you're just 10 minutes from town, once you get yeah. out on that canyon road, you know, you got all those oak trees and the, and the lake and everything. It feels like you're somewhere else. Yeah. So that was like, wow, you know, we get this whole 70s biker vibe thing where you're riding somewhere and, you know, you show up and it's it's in, on grass and not on concrete yeah. like everybody else is doing. Yeah. So we, uh, we, we, you know, got a hold of the owner and, uh, he was really friendly. In fact, we're amazing friends today, but, um, started the process and he called Long Beach PD, well, actually the Orange County Sheriff's to start the due diligence. And they called Long Beach or Signal Hill and they gave us like an F report card. Wow. <laughs> like sides. Yeah. A million <laughs> things that we did wrong, uh, even though we didn't. And, um, he's like, ah, oh, Mike, you know, I don't, I don't know if we can have this event here because, I believe what you're saying, but the police are saying another story. And that's the whole biker thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's just like they get discriminated on even if they don't do anything or maybe one bad apple and, you know, the whole group is rotten. So Right after I just said all those nice things about how wholesome it was, you're telling me this. <laughs> exactly. Well, the thing was is, I mean, I'm a family guy. I got four kids. I mean, it was a family. Yeah. Born Free 2, Born Free 1 was definitely family. Born Free 2 definitely had a little different element. However, it was huge and fun and there wasn't an issue i can tell you i was yeah we 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 we, we know and then we get to born free three so he he's reluctant to give us you know the permission and all that and we work through it and i meet with the sheriffs and they under you know i, I have a professional job besides the bike stuff so they realize okay we're dealing with professional like give him a shot so we paid you know heavily to have sheriffs there which we still do today and we, we love them we get along with them great but i mean they came in with like 30 officers probably 20 undercovers and a whole slew of volunteer you know whatever they call them uh, deputies or volunteers or whatever because mm -hmm. they were thinking some stuff was going to go down you know and they have all the intel on the clubs and all that stuff and everybody knows that but we're like look we don't we're not affiliated with any clubs we don't have any problem with everybody they can do whatever we want but they you know that's just not us so they granted us permission we started promoting the show and um certainly we're thinking a lot bigger at that point that's when we decided you know, to have some invited builders and doing giveaway bikes and all the things that we do today, you know, having bands, which we never had before. So even though it was a lot smaller then than now, there was a lot new, more new things coming in. But we yeah. just decided that if we had more people involved with the show, whether they were a vendor, a sponsor, a builder, the more people involved, the better the show would be. Sure. The more people would want to come. If you're invested in it and you have a stake in the, you know, you're doing something there, you're a vendor, you're a builder, you're a sponsor, you're not going to, you know, talk a bunch of crap and you're going to want to come to the event and it'll help it grow. Good point. Which it did. So versus, you know, instead of, you know, we're cool guys and you can't come or that group can't come or these people can't come, we just basically welcomed everybody. Like mm -hmm. you're all welcome to come and do your thing, you know, however you want to do it. So it started really, you know, getting some momentum behind it and then, um, you know, had to learn a lot. Won't bore you with the details, but you know, fire, private security, health departments, all the agencies. Just when you're first starting out, you have no idea how yeah. to do this stuff. So, you know, I taught myself basically how to do these 
events. And, and my partner's really good at it too. He, he has certain skill sets that I don't have. And that's why we work well together, but I do all the back end operation stuff that is no fun, but I know how to do it and I know how to talk to these people. So it's, it's worked out, but I'm um, throwing all, you know, so we get to the show and then the day before the show, they tell us, Hey, you can't have colors at your show. We had no idea that that was even a thing. Like we never thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, so you want us to not let them in? Like, what if they show up? He's like, well, no, you know, you, you, uh, you can't let them in. The sheriff told you you can't let the them in. The sheriff and the site owner. Okay. They're like, and I said, well, you never told us that. I'm like, how do we do this now a day before the show? So <clears throat> that was a t- little, you know, weird area to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to post all these signs. And, of course, clubs came. Luckily, we knew quite a few of them because we had sold them you know, tickets or met them at swap meets or whatever. So it actually was diffused pretty easily. And they, most of them left because, you know, they have their things that they have to do and we didn't allow cuts and colors and all that stuff. So anyway, it, it, it didn't turn into a big deal at all. And the sheriffs were actually really impressed the way we handled it. They were thinking that, no man, you know, we got to call in the SWAT team. It's going to be this big deal. And we talked to them, explained to them, assured them everything. And it it actually ended up working out really well. Good. So after three, it was a no color event, which most guys respect and understand. Look, we're trying to provide this family friendly environment. We want everybody to come and all those guys are welcome to come. Yeah. Participate, whatever. We just can't have the colors. It's just part of being on private property. It's part of the condition of the of the site and the sheriffs. Yeah, clubs are getting used to it by then. They were starting to realize like after the whole Laughlin thing happened, it was about around the same era that they, you know, they started a lot of these like no color events started, you know, cropping up. So they kind of knew what the time of day was and they got used to it, you know, pretty quick. That's most events are like that nowadays. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of the guys from these clubs are, you know, real good dudes. You know, I yeah. have friends with a lot of guys that participate in, in MCs and they're really nice people. They are, uh, they, nurture the writing community just as much as anybody if not more and so it's not so much a shot at at them as it is just like we we can't have the politics and there's other forces like law enforcement that say you can't have it it's not even our decision which makes it easy to say it's not our decision sorry but i think they get it most of the time so okay so very cool so starting at number three you guys started having it at the oak canyon and then it's been there ever since right up and through and 12 is coming up next right um and the venue the venue has been i'm People describe it as the Woodstock of Harley-Davidson <laughs> yeah. events, right? Would you Is that accurate in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has that festival vibe, you know, with all the grass and the trees and all that. You know, you do get this relaxed feel, so that's part of the whole thing which you mentioned about, you know, the community and everybody in a good good mood, and we knock on wood, we've never even had an arrest. Oh, wow. So this will be 12, so through 11 events, we've never had an arrest. We've never even had a fight. Hmm, very cool. So we're really proud of, about that. So I think when people get there, there's so much going on. Yeah. And, and the things evolved yeah. to now. So I don't bore you with all the details, but from the early days to now, there's a million things going on. So there's shows within the show. Yeah. Right. So be on the two stages and the eight bands over two days and the vans, you know, vert demo and the rusty butcher sportster show and the built well thing. And, you know, San Diego customs has their whole big area with, with the FXR and all the modern platform stuff. Yeah. We've had the Arlen S show in, you know, so there's all these little shows inside the show besides a hundred plus vetted vendors. So we really work on our vendors to make sure what they're, what they're, what they're selling or promoting fits what we're doing. 
Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not like, you know, we've said it a million times, beef jerky and beanie babies and just, you know, whatever to sell a spot. <laughs> We're, we sell out our vendor spots. I mean, every, we don't even open it up every year. The same vendors come back and we end up, you know, adding maybe two or three, maybe five, um, which pisses a lot of people off because they can't get in. But it's like this. We want to stay loyal to our folks and we only have a certain amount of room. Right. We don't want the whole event just littered with vendors, you yep. know, all doing leather wallets or selling vintage. That's t-shirts. smart, too, because like a lot of the events that, you know, that don't do do so well these days, like Street Vibrations and all these places that people used to go. They got taken over by vendors because the promoter got greedy and wanted more more money, more vendors, wanted guaranteed money. And they ran all the public out of it. So that I mean, that's a super smart thing there like yeah i didn't it. even i didn't even know you did that sorry i didn't interrupt yeah. you Keith, but i didn't even know you did that and that's super smart because you're right like you go to some of these other events and i'm not going to dog other events but you know some of the vendors are just kind of like why are you there like hair coloring or you know just like you know all the leather goods which to a certain extent some of that's okay but yeah when it when it's a motorcycle show like the guys that come to born free i think you attract such a core, like awesome group and everybody wants to come every single year and people travel all around the world to come because you have awesome bikes there. You have builders that are awesome, which we're going to get into the shows in a minute. Um, but I, I didn't even know you, you you vetted your vendors like you did, but that now that I'm thinking about it, that makes sense because just about every vendor I walk past, I, I want to look at them. You know, it's yeah. not like, it's not like a throwaway where it's like, I could see that anywhere, but I'm at born free. I want to see like, like, um, best of the best, you know, world, um, I'm going to say renowned, but stuff that's very unique, um, and like maybe American made products or, or whatever it may be. So yeah, kudos there big time. So you, you touched on the contest a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, some, we'll talk about first the, I guess the core show, would you call it the core show with the, the choppers or, you know, what, what do you call that exactly? Your, your vintage chopper show or. Yeah. And it, it's evolved, you know, the, the vintage part of the shows dropped off. If you know now, you look at all the artwork, it's just a born-free motorcycle show. So the vintage thing after, I don't know, about five or I think maybe six, we just eliminated that. Because we still love the vintage, and it's the core of the show, but a lot of guys that are into vintage are now also into new bikes. You know, you realize, like, hey, you know, vintage stuff is awesome, but I can't spend all my time working on this thing, or I'm trying to go on a ride, and I'm breaking down. I mean, I'm the best example. Every ride I ever tried to go on on an old bike, I didn't make it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and then finally wised up. I'm like, man, if I get a new bike, I can go for five days yeah. and know I'll be home, not going to break down, have a great time, see everything, do everything. And a lot of guys, I think, started to realize that after they started working on their bikes. And, you know, it's an evolution like me. And you start with a Triumph, then you get a Sportster, and then you go to a Shovelhead, and then you want to get a Panhead or whatever, get a Knuckle if you can afford it. And then you start to go the other way. You're like, man, you know, I've got, I've had all these bikes. What, you know, maybe an FXR, you know, I can, I can ride that and still be cool because an FXR is a, is a modern chopper. I mean, that's what it is. It's a chopper. And, um, so we started, you know, seeing a lot more guys on chop on FXRs and then the Dyna thing exploded and even the bagger thing to a certain point, you know, we're not, I'm not into the big wheel bagger stuff, but I have a new Rogue Glide S and I would never get rid of it for anything. I love that bike. I love all the new stuff they do, you know, make for it, whether it's Harley accessories or other aftermarket. It's just, it's a fun space. It's neat. It's, it's new. So the show's evolved um, and from, you know, the vintage stuff is certainly important and that's it. But all the all the new stuff too is, is really coming to the fore. Yeah. So one thing I noticed like right away about being there, there's so many vintage bikes and there's a lot of like more than I've ever seen. 
um, really cool bikes, but it's a big mix. Like, there's something for everyone there. Like, if you're into skating, there's a skate demo. If you're into live music, they, you guys have the the bands going on. Like, whatever, whatever you're into, you can find it there. Like, if you're looking for old parts, some guys are there with old gas tanks and front ends and all these cool things you can't, you know, find outside of that, you know, that space. It's a really cool event. Like, it's it's awesome. And the builder guys, I mean – I geeked out on the guy that did, I think it was a cutaway of a shovel head that was like running. I was like, dude, you know what I'm like, what kind of work went into this? And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. I was standing there for like an hour staring at it. Like, how do you even go about doing something like that? It's amazing. Talk about your invited builders. What does it take to be an invited builder to born free? You know, it's, uh, it doesn't take a lot, believe it or not. I mean, if you have the passion to do it and you really want to do it, I mean, we've we've taken guys never heard of before, no name, no shop, just average dude who just they has apply a, to you, or how do they pa- get in? I mean, we find people. So a friend will mention somebody. You know, you might have a guy you know, and you say, "Hey, you know, take a look at this guy." You don't have to be this. You know, forget what you see on Instagram or Facebook or the internet. That's all BS. You don't have to be our friend. We don't even have to know you. I don't have to know anything about you. You don't have to be this 30-year-old dude with perfect hair and a beard and the chopper lifestyle. Like, we've got guys, you know, people keep saying, oh, a bunch of skateboard hipster builders. It's absolutely not true. If you look at the builders, yeah. we had a 70-year-old guy, you know, two years ago, Scratch. You know, this year, Don Don from Michigan. I mean, look at the guy's profile. He, he's like an old ex-racer and painter, and I he's done funny guy, car yeah. stuff. I mean, this guy is not a hipster skateboard yeah builder you know we we certainly have those guys and and they're cool and they do stuff and you know we are friendly with everybody and that's the thing that that the reason the show works for us and i think that it's got to where it is is because we're not just promoters to throw out a date and say see at the show Mm -hmm. we go to every show we can to promote the show and everybody involved with us we go to every swap meet you know that's around and promote the show with flyers and meet people and shake hands and sell them you know, passes to the show or tickets to the giveaway. So when people say, oh, they knew that guy, he won. It's like, yeah, because we you know everybody. <laughs> we, we try to. <laughs> Pretty much, exactly. we, we, you know, we try to do our best. And even the haters, like, we've tried to reach out to those guys and say, hey, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're on the Internet telling everybody how Born Free sucks and the bikes don't run and all this crap. It's like, have you been? Yeah. No. Do you want to come? Well, uh, you know, I mean, and, uh, why don't you come out here? I'll give you a free pass. You know, come to the show. Check it out. And if you hate it, then... Get on the internet, tell all your buddies how bad it sucks, and we're all a bunch of whatever. And either they don't come because they're never going to come, or they come and they realize, holy crap, man, this was a blast. He goes, yeah. you're right. You know, so we try to change people's mind, and we have over the years. You know, we're, we're not perfect, but I feel like we're super approachable. If you have an idea, whether you're a builder, you're, whether you're a sponsor, a vendor, you want to do something crazy inside the show, you know, swallow goldfish, whatever it may be. Like we're, in, we're up for it. We're into it. I mean, we have so many things going on. In fact, that's the guy, I mean, we're hoping that we have the show this year. We have this, you know, pie eating contest and we have the bad tattoo contest. We have all these things that random dudes wanted to do. And we're like, if you think you can do it and you can pull it off, we're going to let you do it. Still, yeah. that's you know, cool. we've had weddings at the show. We've had proposals really? at the show. <laughs> we've had, I mean, we had a, all kinds of stuff. I mean, then there's some, some, hanky panky stuff that goes on here and there, you know, in the San Diego customs area and all that, that that's a good time. So, I mean, there's yeah. so many things that go on that we, and we try to let people do their thing. You know, we're not constantly screaming at them or yelling, you know, tell them you can't do this. You can't do that. As long as everybody's having fun, no one's getting hurt. Like it's, it's that kind of show. It's kind of a show for the people. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of the people's show and, and the community show. It's not so much, 
And, and I think one of the things, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I've seen is you guys really, to a point, try to uh, limit the amount of like cur- commercialism in the show as well. Sure, there's big companies, Vans, Harley-Davidson, things like that, um, that are there to, I guess, positively influence people about their their brand. But at the same time, you don't you haven't really over commercialized this event. Can you talk a little bit about that? And yeah, I mean that's the same with the like we were talking about with the vendors vetting the vendors. <clears throat> we do we don't solicit sponsorship. We never have. Um, we don't you know get out on the road or look up companies. Mainly, a lot of them come to us. You know, they see the show and all that, which is a great thing, and we're very proud of that. And and um, so we, we try to work with people that it makes sense, you know. So if their brand is, you know, we're, we like what they're doing or they're part of the space or people respect what they do and it makes sense, you know, we'll look at them and talk to them and try to work out, um, you know, sponsorship for them. Our standard sponsorships don't work for everybody, you know. So we have to, and I help with this a lot, is create like a unique activation yeah. or a sponsorship for a particular company to make them fit in well, like you said, so it doesn't feel um, forced or like, oh man, these dudes just took a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so working with them on the look, cause a lot of times they're working, they're, they're doing big other shows where you can get away with all that stuff. You know, you go to these other shows and there's nothing wrong with them where it can be very commercial and the Geico lizard could be walking around and, you know, handing out koozies. They tried to do that at our show and they're no longer a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Just told them it, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it's not the right crowd. And, now they just fly their plane over the show every year and yeah. get like free marketing. Right. But, you know, I told, you know, told them, look, you know, I saw what you did and, and everything. It's just, if you want to be successful here, this isn't the look that you do. You go at a different approach and then you create something to help riders who need insurance come to you and sign up. You know, you need to be creative. You need to look at the people that are here and figure out how to, you know, sing to what they want, not what you think works in Florida. Yeah. You know, so we've done that and we've been really lucky. You know, and, 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 and we work with the, with the motor company with Harley. We have a very unique relationship with Harley. People were calling us sellouts and all this stuff when, they, when Harley showed up. It's never been like that. We, we bounce ideas off of them. They bounce ideas off of us. We work super well together on curating their space, what the theme is for this year, if there is one. You know, we've done the race bike thing. We've done the hooligan thing. We've done all this stuff. Um working, helping them, like we spoke earlier, about their artwork and the, the kind of merchandise they want to have at the show. We we inter- we talked them into bringing out the museum yeah. a few times in the last couple of years, which is amazing. You Heck know, yeah. if anybody's ever been to the Harley Museum, it's unreal. Yeah. Um, and they brought out the museum store. So you could buy all this insane stuff you can only get from the store, you know, the Harley sweaters and the cool shirts and all the, you know, the books and everything, the neat stuff. And they, they brought it out and set it up at our event, and they'd never done that before That's anywhere. Rad. So for people who can never get to Milwaukee, for you know whatever reason, hopefully you do, to be able to have that museum come to you and those people and see those people, it was amazing, you know. And then you get people like Willie G, you know, yeah. and Bill Davidson and Karen, and yeah. you know the people coming to the show, walking around, having a great time, with you know, and people will look at it and go, "That's Willie G. Yeah, he's at Born Free. Yeah, you know." So you know all that kind of stuff works and helps, and we we love that. I mean, Willie's a great guy. We've had tons of conversations with him. Um, We've participated in events back at the museum and in Milwaukee. And so we've got this really good working relationship. They never force anything on us at all. It's always ideas either they have or we have, and it's worked great, you yeah. know. So it's, it's, a, it's a good way to bring that modern bike in Harley into our space, and it's worked, you know, organically, not forcing it. And it's, it's been a joy, and, you know, we would never – we cherish that relationship. 
And you yeah. guys were bringing all the relevant manufacturers and bike builders there and stuff like that. I know we saw Brad Richards there last year and cruising around kind of yeah. incognito and he's a VP of styling of the motor company. I mean, he's like the dude that's like designing bikes and like he was just checking stuff out, man. He didn't tell anyone who he was or nothing. He was just kind of cruising and said hi to him because we knew who he was. But yeah, he was like checking out all these and he's a, if you don't see his, his Instagram, Zen of Nito is amazing, dude. He's got, like, a lot of vintage all stuff. these vintage stuff, vintage bikes and cars and drag race, dra dragsters and all this really cool stuff, man. He's he's in the scene big time. But, yeah, that's where you can see that stuff. I mean, there's all these great guys there that are making new and old parts for, you know, new and old bikes. And, yeah, that's that's a really cool, like, spot to be in, especially from my side of the house, just checking things out from a mechanical perspective. But, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's like the paradise of, of all things Harley Davidson, new and old. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your other shows you have there. So I know you have, you mentioned um, San Diego Customs, FXR, uh, Dyna Show, and there's also the, the Harley Davidson, what I feel like is like a Harley Davidson invited builder show where they build like modern, like baggers. You've got guys like Alloy Arts and San Diego Customs had a bike there, Suicide Machine had a bike there. Uh, talk, I, I really like that. I really like, you know, I like it all, you know, I'll just be honest, but I, I think it's cool that there's that addition now. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the other shows that you have going on besides just like the core, like vintage chopper show that you see in front of the stage. So we, we have our invited builder group and that's really, I mean, we promote that all year long. That's a big deal. So we have, you know, anywhere between 20 to 30 builders. They're building whatever they want to build. We don't tell them what to build when we accept them or we ask them. And some people ask and some people we ask. Uh, once, they, once they're in, they can build whatever they want. It could be a Honda, it could be a Harley, it could be whatever. So there, it could be new, old, it doesn't matter. And over the years, we've had a couple of newer builders in that group. We had, you know, Roland Sands was in it, and uh, Suicide Machine was in it, and Rusty Butcher was in it, and stuff like that. And we just decided um, that let's create, let's keep that thing going and still have those guys do whatever they want, but let's let's do a, more of a modern platform with a smaller group. And that's how we hatched that plan with Harley. We, we worked on it together to come up with, you know, four to six builders every year that get a bike of choice. So they get to pick what they want. They're not force fed. Hey, everybody's got to, you know, take this model. They get whatever they want to do and, um, and they can do anything they want to it. So we started doing that. I know it's been four or five years and it's really grown too. And that's a big draw to the show. So we have this mainly vintage group with our invited guys who Harley's also the sponsor of that. A lot of people don't realize that they still do care about the vintage stuff and the history and continuing that. Oh yeah. Um, that whole segment of, of what they do, like they're involved. So they sponsor our, our invited builder group and then as they sponsor what we call our Harley invited builder group. And, um, and that's been going on for, you know, for, like I said, for a few years and it's been great. In fact, last year, the bikes that we had with the Harley group probably got just as much press and love as the old bikes. Yeah. Um, people over there. It was great. We displayed them in the same area. We had, you know, storyboards with it. We had, our, we actually hired an announcer last year. It was fantastic. And he really spoke to the crowd about what was going on. Cause sometimes you walk by, you have no idea like what this is. Mm -hmm. Right. But, and that was also part of the Harley activation. And, you know, we helped curate that space to make it look good and, and flow into our, our, the next space right next to it, which is the invited builder group. So that whole area was packed for oh, yeah. two straight days. You could be looking at, like you said, Hawks cutaway shovel, that runs, yeah. you know, people think it doesn't run. The thing runs. Is it on the internet? That thing is oh, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. 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 He's a builder this year and the guy's unbelievable. I mean, some of the guys we have not to jump around or like there, you, I mean, how do you even think of this stuff? Yeah. You know, and, and they're pushing themselves and challenging themselves. 
not to say all of our builders are that because you can just be a guy with style. Style to me goes as far, if not farther, than than fabrication talent. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard, uh, although we're getting a lot better than over the last few years, to get a guy who can fab his brains out but also has the style to go with it. Used yeah. to be a lot of the fabricators, man, their metalwork was insane, but they're like their style just was like, you know, they they spend you know four hundred hours trying to make a a tank or whatever, and then put a V twin wheel, like from V twin on the front. Yeah, and so it's like, man, you went that wild on the fab work, and then you just threw a hundred dollar wheel on it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen now. Like they guys realize, like, okay, you don't do that. You know, like let's do it all. So we've got guys that are incredible fabricators doing stuff that you'd never even think of. Mm-hmm. Um, two guys that just have cool style and ta- you know, and they have a, a look, and it might just be a pan head chopper with all the, you know, the normal recipe, you know, peanut tank and bars and all that stuff. But, you know, they paint it up cool and it's a neat, nice bike and, and it people like it. And so we've got a great mix of the wild to just, you know, the mild stuff, even even a rider style bike. You know, we don't tell them what to build. They got to build what they want. Yeah. So it's a good mix with the, with the invited group. And then, like I said, with the Harley stuff, it's like those guys are really pushing and, and uh, it's great to see them work with Harley too. Yeah. You know, a lot of the stuff they are using is, is Harley, Harley parts. Not everything is, is completely aftermarket. And uh, this year we have Oliver Jones. He's trying to, I think he got a low rider, but he's trying to create this 90s looking bike that Harley could have sold, right? So it's got a mix of all these Harley factory components all mixed around and he's, and he's putting this bike together. And I think it's going to be That's a cool. cool bike. Yeah. You know, we certainly have the bagger stuff. I mean, Chip got a CVO Road Glide. It's like, well, what do you do? What do you do with that? Yeah. But yeah. I think he was trying to make it into almost look like an FXR or something. So these guys are doing all the stuff. So we have Alloy Art, like you mentioned, Suicide Machine. We have Danny uh, from Motor Witch in Arizona, who's Danny Wilson, who's new for us. Oh yeah, yeah that'll be a great one. He's a really yeah. popular builder. So he's got a, he's the motor guy, right? So he's the one like pushing the envelope on the motor. Um, and then of course Chip and Mikey from San Diego Customs, which we love, and they they have their own area. Yeah, you know, so we've trusted them to take over a big portion of the show to create this space that really sings to those guys that like those kind of bikes. You know, Which the is FXR. a huge segment right now. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but yeah, I think that, I mean, that's such a, a huge growing segment, yeah. the whole Dyna FXR scene with kind of those guys that maybe the younger, the guys that are coming maybe from like the Moto Inspire, like a dirt bike scene or whatever. So yeah, I, I love what they do for, for kind of that cultivating that, that whole Dyna FXR a little bit of the new soft tail chassis now, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, the, the, you're, you're right on the money there. So, so Saturday, you know, uh, is the big FXR show. So the Saturday of the show, that's our biggest day for sure. That's FXR only Sunday was the Dyna show, but two years ago, they, cr- they just changed it to be the open show. So whether you have a performance bagger or you got a sports or whatever it may, even an FXR, if you can't make it on sun, uh, Saturday. So it's open to everything. And, you know, they have vendors over there. They're their own vendors you know, that, that cater to those guys and those mm-hmm. type of parts. So when you go over there, it's like this whole other show, you know, you're seeing guys that are doing all the aftermarket stuff for the motors and the parts and the handlebars and suspension and all that stuff. So it, it's a good mix of what you get. So you go different areas of the show and you get a whole different vibe yeah. over there. You know, like I said, it's a little more adult. <laughs> they got some stuff going on over there. That's fun. But um, the bikes are incredible. I mean, yeah. people, you know, are bringing out the baddest of the bad to the show. They're yep. innovating too. They're innovating stuff like making one one off parts and innovate like new ideas, expressing new things, and kind of seeing how people 
react to them or if they like them or whatever. And like, yeah, you see a lot of stuff over there. Like, well, I haven't seen that before. What is that? And start yeah. asking around, and they don't try to talk about it. They'll tell you all about it, man. You want to stand there all day, and they'll tell you what exactly what it took to make it and why they did it, and it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for the, if you want to call it the club, clubbed out diner or whatever. Um, I mean, we had our Coast Glide yeah. build that uh, really appeals to that crowd as well, which was at the Born Free show. Um, Mike was kind enough to call me up and, and ask if we bring it down, which was a huge kind of a, a privilege and a pleasure for yeah. us to have our bike displayed at, at Born Free. Um, and that area, by the way, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that's more of like a, a friends and family area that's kind of to the, what is it, the north of the stage there? Yeah, so we across from our invited builder group in that Harley section, we have what we call our special guests area. And those don't have to be friends or family. Those are just guys who've either approached us or we do know. Maybe they were a previous builder or they've got some old bike or their uncle heard about the show and wanted to bring out some, you know, 100-year-old bike or something neat. And that area is really fun. I mean, that's probably probably gets as much traffic as the invited builder area because the diversity. I mean, you had your bike there. We had the Biltwell People's Champ Group, which is another show inside a show. All of those bikes were staged up in front. Um, We had the Crazy Frank show, which if anybody knows what Crazy Frank is, it was an old guy in the 70s, built these fenders and these cool parts, and he ended up getting out of prison, and he started doing it again. And so we had a whole section just for this guy. I never even met the guy before, but... A buddy was passionate about it, met Frank, and they started to do it. Um, won't bore you with it, but th- those are the things that we do that maybe somebody else wouldn't do. You know, so we gave them a spot. And then, you know, there's race bikes in there. Vance and Hines had a, I think it was like a dual engine Honda. I can't remember, but there's yeah, all kinds of stuff that. in I there. I saw that bike too, you know? yeah. So there's, there's everything you can think of in there as long as that's cool. That's it. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you came from. If you got a neat bike and you want to bring it, I mean, I, I've given passes to people I've never even met before that we met at a swap meet and some old guy or w- lady will come up and, you know, I heard you have an old bike show, you know, I want to bring this thing out. And they tell me about it. I'm like, here, you bring it here. You, you do it. And I mean, we've helped them unload the thing in the parking lot. You know, it's a hundred degrees out there. I got a million yeah. things to do and I'm trying to help this guy unload his bike, you yeah. know, bring it in. But we'll, we'll do that stuff because we want to have the best at the show so people can enjoy and want to come back and, See, feel like they seen or, or can see anything. Yeah. You know, I heard you got a bike show. Yeah. I got a little show called born free. You should come <laughs> on out. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't treat it like that, man. Uh, I'll tell you. I, I, mean, I know you're, you're a humble dude. I know these guys are so <laughs> humble, man. I met him at the stampede and like never talked to him before ever. And yeah. I'm sitting there and like, I think we were there for a long time and there was a big event going on and they were telling me the whole story about it and how it all started. And I'm like, dude, this is the best thing ever. Like this thing grew up in like a, the decade pretty much to what it is now. And it's like, it was like a uh, great story. And just, I mean, it was awesome to listen to. And they took the time at the, in the middle of this event to talk to a few of us that were standing around about, you know, how things evolved and how things were. And it was me and Jamie, I think you were there too. Yeah. yeah the um, but yeah, super cool, man. It was really good story so to hear. Speaking of the stampede, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, I know you have the stampede, which is a flat track racing. And I've seen you have like a, um, the lodge up at Baldy, uh, that's an event and, you know, maybe talk about some of these other ancillary events that have popped up as a result of the, the born free success. So, yeah, we try to do some things, uh, you know, all around the year for the, for the year, really around the show was certainly have born free and we have our, our big event our big stampede is based around the show. So that's the race the night, well, a couple nights before the show. And last year we had the X games qualifier. Yeah. So we had, we had Harley, was cool. which was great and ESPN and, and all that. And we had the X games qualifier at our race. 
So we had to, you know, change the way we do it a little bit. Um, but it was, it was a, it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. We had a hundred riders from all over the world that got to race. And then we had our vintage program too, which we're real proud of. And that's, I mean, 80 to 150 of the wackiest, craziest guys and girls in the world <laughs> racing old bikes, having a blast, you know, the yeah. pull start mini classes and all the mm-hmm. stuff that, was awesome. that we love. I mean, we even brought back three wheelers and quads, yeah, which three, I don't even know if it's legal. Too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if it's even legal to have those guys, but this group hit me up and they're like, we want to come. I'm like, it's perfect. It grooms the track. It doesn't hurt it. The guys are fun to watch. They fly. People love it. And it's like, where oh, do you yeah. see three-wheeler racing? Yeah. You know, I thought it was banned. It probably is, but uh, <laughs> we allow it. So, yeah, so we started, jump back on the Stampede about four years ago. You know, the flat track stuff started happening. Um, you know, Roland started doing his things, which we support and love, and, and even race in a lot of his events and Hell on Wheels and all the different little flat track stuff. We just decided that it would be a good, you know, add to the show to have a race you know, right before the show. So the first one we had was at Costa Mesa Speedway, which is incredible. Um, it was a Thursday night event, which is hard to pull off. Yeah. We have to have it Thursday night because obviously the show's Saturday, Sunday. There's just no time. We can't, there's just too much going on. And Friday, there's a big party out at Cook's, so we just didn't want to conflict. So we just decided to have it on a Thursday. So it's worked out really well, and we even start the event sometimes at noon, and the thing will go to 10 o'clock. Yeah. So if you're in town for the show and you want more to do, we're trying to make Born Free almost a week long, you know, with, with parties, pre-parties, after parties, open houses, guys' shops and stores and dealer participation and stuff. So we're trying to create this almost a week-long event. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the, the Stampede's a blast. And then we um, we decided to do, uh, last year we did the Sportsman Cup, which was a new event we did out in Santa Maria. And it was, a, it was actually a flat track race. It was a little bit of a catch-all. We had bikes, cars, had a couple of bands, racing and we also allowed camping for all of our vendor sponsors and racers right. which was like a lot of fun yeah because we can't do that at our show site so that was a blast we did an event in del mar in december so we went to del mar raceway which is a prestigious raceway has been around forever i mean they probably have the best dirt in california if not the world it's amazing so we we did an event there lost our butt and money but it didn't matter we wanted to have a great event i mean you know it's hard to do an event in december yeah. You know, we just, that was the yeah. only date we can get. And they charged us a f- fortune because they didn't know who we were. And we thought we, they were going to come and ruin the space and have, you know, biker fights and all this stuff, which <laughs> again, after the event, they were blown away, welcomed yeah. us back, basically cut the price in half for the next event. You know, we've even talked about maybe moving Born Free there like a uh, Del Mar Bike Week but born free someday. And these are places just for the benefit of people that are listening that are like horse, typically horse racing tracks, right? Del Mar is like the premier. I mean, it's one, I mean, in California for sure, don't Del, Del Mar uh, raceway or track or whatever they want to call it. It's one of the premier horse racing venues in the world. Yeah. This is where all the rich people come with their fancy hats and clothes and <laughs> they have the Del Mar fair there and they, but they've also had a rich history of motorcycling and racing. You know, they did the Del Mar mile years ago, which yeah. was like, you know, Google it, go back in time. I mean, it was the most, some of the most iconic racing with the best racers anywhere in the world raced Del Mar. So we wanted to go back there, even though it wasn't on the mile, it was on the short track, um, which we've actually talked to them about the mile. So if horse racing were to ever stop and and it may in the near future, because all the injuries and stuff like that, or I mean, from, yeah, just the, from what I understand, that's a big part. And just There's the, a lot going on you in know, space lo- right now. Yeah. We won't get into that. but yeah, yeah, you know, the whole deal. So if that were the case, I mean, we could potentially possibly do the mile 
which I mean, if you've ever seen a mile race, it is there's nothing scarier. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude, those guys are because they get they get gone. I mean, they're over they're flying. <laughs> they're well over 100 miles. Yeah, an they're hour. flying, Jeez, and it's uh, it's a dangerous. I mean, flat track racing in general is dangerous. Is as easy as it looks, it is the most dangerous racing you can do. But uh, the mile is like another. I think level. they still do it in Sacramento. They, they do Sacramento mile, yeah. They do, they which are is incredible. Hauling when they come by, yeah. <laughs> they're hauling. <laughs> so we wanted to go there to do something at a historic venue, right? So we paid up to do it. We had a great time. Harley was involved. We had racers from everywhere. We we treat our racers the way we treat people at the show. I mean, we treat them like gold. We give them. You know, prize money, trophies, swag, jerseys, gifts, patches, number plates, everything. And we've got a, a list of people that want to race. So anytime we throw a race together, we just put it out there. Immediately, I've got the full roster. If it's not already already people returning. Yeah. So we don't have to go out and beg people to race. We do have to beg people to watch. Because spectator stuff is just, it's tough. And anybody who's doing racing will tell you, to get spectators... To watch a race is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. So we try to make it more fun, right? So we throw bikes in there, a little chopper show. We'll throw, or, or you know, at the Del Mar, we had San Diego and all those bikes. Um, we'll throw vendors in there. We'll throw, we'll do a giveaway like we did with you guys. We had that fun time. We built the, the sports there and gave it away yeah. at one of the races. Yeah. So we try to do more. You know, we'll throw a band in there or something like that because as much as we love racing and, God, I hope it doesn't die off, it's just really hard to get people out, especially in Southern California, to come and watch, mm-hmm. you know, even though the ticket's cheap and all that, it's just, I don't know if they're just too busy or they got away from it or it's just not as popular yeah. to newer, younger people these days. A lot days. of competition for people's time. That, that, yeah. uh, that true. You know, in Southern California, there's a lot to do, yep. you know, and then, you know, you got traffic and stuff like that. So, true. you know, having a race in industry on a Thursday night, a guy gets off work at five and, you know, Orange County or San Diego or LA or whatever. I'm not sure he wants to jump on the freeway. Yep. But we, we try to do the best we can, and we've had some really exciting events, and we've had a lot of good turnout, like I said, with, even with help with you guys. In fact, I think we had Laidlaw's bike Harley night, right, at a couple of the yeah. Stampedes. Yeah, it happened yeah. to be the same night as Stampede, I think, last year. Yeah. I think we've yeah. done it, yeah, twice. Twice, we've done yeah. it twice, yeah. yeah. And I remember you talked about the, you know, it going until 10. I remember being there until, like, races going on to like, 11, 11.30. And so, like, you know, come after work. You know, you're going to have plenty of, you know, action to watch and everything. Yeah, Kelly and them, they, they did a good job of running that because I think they have a ti- uh, sound curfew at a certain time. It has to cut off at a certain, you mm. know, time of the night j- because of where they're located and so close to the houses and stuff. But they push the envelope, don't get me yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, they do the But uh, they do a good job of keeping everything running and, and keeping it exciting. And, like, they yeah, they do a good job. Kelly's crew, Kelly Inman's yeah. crew is next level. I mean, I will tell you right now, we would not do a race without Kelly's crew. And, and they came to Santa Maria with us. They came to Del Mar with us. Awesome. So it's not just industry. There's, it doesn't get any better. I mean, they keep everybody in check, everybody in line. You don't wait around. You know where you're going. You know when your heat is, your main. I mean, everything. I've been to, I race myself. So I, I've been yeah. to a lot of races that mm-hmm. are so confused. Guys missing heats, missing mains. They have no idea what's going on. You know, it's a, it's a nightmare. There's a lot of politics that are played on some of these races. There's a lot of beefs going on. Our deal, we, we, we make it fun. We tell, I mean, we have a writer's meeting. I'll tell them right up front. If you th- want to win and you think you're going to be somebody special from winning, you just don't race because this is fun. You know, if you do win, great. Congratulations. We'll, we'll support you. We'll take your picture, all that. But this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hurt anybody. Don't get wild. Don't get nuts. Don't fight. And, and again, we've been lucky. Everybody that races at our races, I mean, they'll tell us, which I appreciate because I love the racing a lot. Uh, it's probably the most is um, 
you know, how great of a time they had and how well they were taken care of and that they never thought, I mean, they always knew where they were with the race. And as you know, like with all that, with all those riders, 150 riders is a lot of people to wrangle, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and we try to make it safe as well too, and worry with details, but just like limiting the number of riders and heats. And when you add more heats, it takes more time, yeah. you know, and, and, but we try to keep the, the events flowing well and you're not held hostage there and it doesn't last forever. Some of them do, but the last few have been really on time and I, and the riders appreciate it. And, you know, and then we can go home a little earlier too. Yeah. I don't, Really like being out there till two in the morning and then go to Born Free the next day. Right, right. Yep. Well, I'll try to make an effort to go to the Del Mar. And you said Santa Maria is where you had a show. Like I didn't make it out there, and it just sounds cool. I, I, I mean, I love all the shows you guys do, so I might have to make more of an effort to, to get out there. Um, very cool. Let's talk too a little bit about um, you know your giveaway. I think a kind of a <clears> big draw to the show is like all the bikes you guys give away at the, yeah. at the show over two days. It's like I was blown away by that too. You know, and I and I just you know I. One one bike in particular that um, I <laughs> I'm kind of invested in this play open to win. Uh, maybe if I win, someone will say it's rigged. But you know, I, I buy my tickets just like everybody else. But um, the 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 knucklehead, that red knucklehead that you guys have this year, like as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay. I even told Keith, yeah. I was like, this thing is gorgeous. What is it? A forty eight? It's or? a thirty nine. A thirty nine. Excuse me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. a thirty nine. So so we've been giving away bikes since Born Free Two. So. <clears throat> We hatched the plan, Born Free 2, because no one, I'm sure it had been done, right? But not in this space, not in this time. So we decided to build Panhead Chopper. So we had some other partners at the time uh, in the show, and we built this, mainly they did, built the bike um, out in Chino at my buddy's shop. We got all the parts. We had some people donate some stuff. We had our buddy, who was a partner at the time, paint it and had a good, had a good time with it and gave it away at the show. We just decided we'd sell little tickets and, you know, do all that kind of stuff, and, and it worked out great. It's exploded since then. You know, we went from one bike a year to two bikes a year to three bikes a year and four, you know, sometimes it's four bikes a year. Yeah. And uh, we've been doing, we've given away over 30 bikes, Dang. you know, everything from, you know, panhead, knucklehead, shovelhead, um, always a Harley. Yeah. Uh, new and new as well. You know, every year we, we not only give away the vintage stuff, but we give away a brand new Harley. So, and we've given away, you know, low rider S's, we've given away whatever the the hot bike is of the time some some, uh, last or a few years ago was a fat bob and all this stuff but the last two years we were able to do some customizing on it so last year we got a street bob and we actually worked with the dealer orange county harley to do a a custom version so they did the stage four kit and we reached out to some of our trade partners and got some parts Mm -hmm. and created this kind of a custom bike and it was great beyond the old stuff as well and then this year with our new low rider we um we did a big number on it at a bike shop in Orange, um, or, or um, motorcycle tire center. We added all kinds of parts to it, and now it's over at Speed Merchant, getting its final stuff done. So this is a fully customized but brand new Lowrider S. Cool, that's awesome. You know, that's awesome. so you, you know these, this is an expensive bike to begin with, and then you're throwing thousands and thousands of mm-hmm. dollars of the best aftermarket parts on there. Um, so it's going to be fun, and Harley's allowed us to do that. And it's been great. So there, there's that. But we also have the 39 knucklehead, which you yep, want. Yeah. And then we had, uh, because of the FXR craze, we've had Chip, <laughs> Chip and Mikey at FX are at uh, San Diego Customs. They're building us a full custom FXR. I know. Right. I mean, their builds aren't cheap. No. Those are you know, no. fifty thousand dollar builds. Yeah. This is a complete ground up build. Everything you know. There's a lot of one off parts. They're doing their brand new wheels. They're working with, you know, S&S on some stuff. They're working with all the high-performance stuff. I mean, it's going to be a killer, killer bike. I mean, full sound system, paint job, the whole deal. So 
Right. We've done tons of vintage bikes and we'll always continue to do that, but we also want to give away what the people want, you know, or give some diversity. So, you know, we've had guys and we've, a lot of times we'll give them a choice. If there's two bikes on one day, like, you know, if they win, they come up and they get to choose the bike they want. We've had guys pick the new bike over the old bike. Really? Yep. Mm -hmm. Cause they got like, Oh man, I got a panhead. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want a new bike. You know, a lot of people are like, what? What are you doing? Well, see, I have a new bike. I don't have exactly. the vintage knucklehead, so I'm getting that knucklehead. Well, it's a crazy <laughs> world because, like, you know, those, like, guys like me or you, like, we, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't have the extra money to buy a older bike like that, but I'd love to have one. Yeah. I would pick that one every day because when do you come across it? And then if they're willing to sell it or not and... Like, dude, that's that's wild. If I win, it's going on display right on the showroom floor, <laughs> right mean, in front of my office. That, that, yeah. That's not that it matters. I mean, that's a seventy thousand dollar bike. Oh, is it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, what I mean, the, the knucklehead stuff has gone through the roof. I mean, that thing is super correct. It's been restored, which a lot of guys want that old look, but it's been it's been completely restored years ago, but done correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everything, but maybe the toolbox and the muffler are original. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is is I mean, and their their quality rep- U.S. reproduction. Yeah. So it's, it's a it's a killer bike, and we've given away. Unfortunately, the, a lot of these were mine, or I bought them with the intent on keeping them. But last year, we gave away an amazing old flathead. Um, I mean, it had like Von Dutch pinstriping on it and stuff like that, you know. And the year before was this barn fine knucklehead that was like you, you know, these kind of bikes you just don't win. Oh, no, you don't win in a raffle no. or a contest or promo, whatever you want to call it. No, you got to find gorgeous like bikes that people hang on to like their entire life. Like these are like. Like you enter into like a vintage show, you're winning. You're winning that show. Like in a lot of cases, out of I think the thirty bikes, thirty plus bikes, um, I think three have been sold. I want to say three. Oh, the so re- they, they hang on to them. That's great. Rest of them still have them and and still ride them to the show. I yeah. mean, every year these guys will show up and they're part of the invited guest area. They'll if they ride their bike to the show, one of the old bikes they've won. In fact, uh, two years ago we had a, a guy won a bike at Born Free Three. He won another bike. <laughs> you know? I saw that Instagram post. Yeah. So the, you know, the other thing too, since I'm here and I'll tell you, is that the giveaways aren't rigged. Okay, <laughs> that's number one. There's no point in rigging it. Yeah, we have no no reason to. We want people to win. That we don't care who wins the bike. I hope you win the bike. And if yeah. you don't win it, I hope you do. Yeah. You know, and yeah. if you guys don't win, I hope some person who doesn't even own a motorcycle who's always wanted one wins the bike. Like we don't have. I mean, whoever wins it is great. We do our best to sell these these tickets and posters. It's a combo everywhere, whether it's online or whether it's all the events we attend. And we do meet a lot of people. So a guy comes up to the booth at Long Beach yeah. Swamp Meet and says, hey, I want to buy a poster ticket combo for your giveaway. And, and we start talking to the guy. Hey, all right, Joe, see you later. Well, Joe wins the bike at the show. And it's like they think we know the guy. And it's like I, I met the guy at the swap meet. Like I <laughs> talked to him once. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but that's the – I mean, we don't – we've gone over that. Like it is what it is. We've had friends win. I mean, we've had three or four friends, close friends win. But yeah. they bought the tickets, whether they bought them at the show, online, or, or in an event. They're in a drum on stage. We spin that thing around. We film it every direction we yeah. possibly can. We pull a kid from the audience that we don't know, have them put their hand in there, roll it around, filming the thing, hold the ticket up without anybody looking at it, read the name off. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. If, if you, It's mainly the people that are, uh, aren't at the show that think these things, not just with us, but everywhere, yeah. is, is fake or rigged. In fact, yesterday, this is crazy, Grant won a bike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never won, I've never won anything on any of these raffles, and there's a million of them going on yeah. on Instagram or whatever. He won a bike. He won a killer sh- uh, Sturgis shovel head, like a, 
uh, 82, 81, 81 whatever. It was one of your raffles? No, no, no. No, of course okay. not. No, so okay. that's the other thing, too, real quick. Well, we should clarify that for the viewers. Our really. stuff, any of our promo giveaways, no one that works for Born Free is allowed to, to participate. Yeah. If it's a volunteer or somebody like that, some guy we hired, parking attendant, and he wanted to buy one, sure. But obviously, myself, Grant, immediate family, Chris, people like that. And that's never happened. This raffle was an Instagram raffle. It was a privateer guy in Utah. Grant won. And, of course, everybody gets on there and starts talking crap. You know, of course, it's the born free guy. This yep. is the foot in the door. You know, how is oh, this possible? Geez. It's like yep. the guy bought a ticket. That's how it's possible. Yeah, He bought a ticket. They pulled his name. He won. Dude, if, if I went, I would almost feel bad for you guys because I know how much flack you would get <laughs> if Matt Laidlaw won the bike at, at Born Free. Yeah, well. But, you know, I, I deal with a ton of the negative Internet stuff all the time. Obviously, I do a ton on, online, and there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be the doubters. There's always going to be guys that, you know, it's not fair or it's rigged or there's this conspiracy theory, um, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But, you know, I think calling up a random kid out of the audience to pull the ticket – how can you get any more random than that? I mean, Plus, it I, makes a kid's day, man. They're up there on stage, cool, yeah. and they get to pull a ticket for a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. I think that's the best thing ever. Oh, it's it's, it's so much fun. And, you uh -huh. know, again, it gets more people engaged, right? So now this guy brought his kid to the show. We thought we were a couple of jerks and wanted to check it out. Just had his kid on the stage with, you know, 20,000 people watching and cameras everywhere and media everywhere and everybody looking. And his little son's up there, and we're giving him high fives yeah. and giving him skateboards and yeah. Cool. And swag and all that. And we do that a lot. I mean, I probably give away 300 skateboards at the show to kids just walking around. You know, they're not asking to hand it to them. So there's all kinds of stuff. But um, the giveaways are definitely a lot of fun, you know, yeah. and, and it's been a good program for us. And it, it definitely do, it doesn't make us any money, I'll tell you. It's a break even if we're lucky. But yeah. it's a way to promote the show. And and um, when you're that, giving away $70,000 bikes, like, yeah, you got to sell a lot of tickets. And we don't. I mean, yeah. to, be, to be honest, I mean, we, we're kind of at a point where – but we're basically sell the same amount every year. You know, it's not a lot. The odds are fantastic. I mean, it's not like these big giveaways where they're selling thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of tickets. It's really great odds. Well, you got to be at the show too, right? So that even narrows it down even further. So this year, because two of the winners last year, although they were at the show, we, we made it where you didn't have to be present to win. Right. So we, we've flip flopped that a few times, trying it out as we get feedback. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, guy's in the military and he's deployed he's like man i'd love to win one of your bikes but i never could come to your show so we're like well you know what next year we're going to try to do you don't have to be present to win one of the bikes so we we did that so last year you didn't have to be present to win any of the bikes one guy was there which was great because we want to see you up on stage take your picture have yeah. you jump around scream cry whatever yeah. but two weren't and it's kind of a buzz kill you know you just had this amazing show it's sunday it's the close of the show and you call in names and they're not there, mm -hmm. you know, so this year we decided, Hey, let's go back to, you got to be there to be, to win the bikes. But the cool thing about our promos is that we give away all kinds of other stuff. So it's not just the bikes. If you, if you can't, you know, you can't come to the show. So let's say you're living in Oklahoma and I can't come to the show, but I want to buy a $25 ticket and poster. So you get this original piece of art and then you're entered to win a Simpson helmet every month. You're, you're entered to win a SNS motor. We've given away, five knuckleheads and panheads and all this stuff, Lindell wheels or s stuff from Harley or any of our sponsors that, um, you know, that want to participate in some of our giveaways. So I mean, we've given away hundreds of things throughout the years that have that, that aren't the bikes. Yeah. So it's for 25 bucks. It's a heck of a deal, you know? Yeah. So this year, yeah, you got to be there to win. We want you up on stage. We want to see your face, we want your picture. We want your reactions. I mean, we've had everything from, you know, 
guy couldn't even say a word to guy doing a flip on the stage, crying, screaming. <laughs> yeah. I mean like, you know, crowd surfing, whatever, like it's, it's a mixed thing and it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it makes it worth it. And it also helps show what we did. Yeah. And, yeah. um, makes it more real for the people that are there too. Like to maybe try again next year. It's like, Hey, this was a Joe Schmo guy that just won this awesome bike. And yeah, because it, it just adds kind of to the environment too. Like, Oh, there's this guy. Anyways, everything you just said. So yeah. And all those people in front of the stage waiting for us to pull. I mean, we're throwing helmets at them. We're throwing, I mean, mm. thousands of dollars worth of stuff at those people at the crowd. So it's like this money is not that is important to us. I mean, we want people to have fun. We want to stoke them out. We want to let them know, God, I went to Born Free. I'm standing in front of the stage. A guy hand me a $400 Simpson helmet or yeah. a Harley gift certificate to a dealer for 500 bucks or, you know, some. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. And, you know, we just want to try to promote the fun of all this. And it is a lot of fun. If you just let go all the crap, like yep. you were talking, you know, all the hate and the politics and everything else, just go and have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grant, Grant brought that home to me when we were talking at the at the stampede. He's, I was like, so what, what's next, man? He's like, dude, I hope it keeps going for 10 more years. But if it doesn't, if it all comes off the rails tomorrow, man, it was a great ride. And we had a lot of fun and we met a lot of really cool people. I was like, bro, that is an amazing attitude to have. Like yeah. this huge thing's going on and. It's all about the fun. Like it's, it was really cool. To, when he said that, I was like, "Oh, that's that's a gem right there." I'm gonna keep that one for a while. Yeah, I mean, Grant and Mike are about the the community and the love of the sport, yeah. the love of motorcycling. Um, you know, it, it's not about you know how much money they can put in their bank yeah. account. It's for the love of the game. And um, you know, that was actually another question I wanted to ask you, Mike. I mean, is this like your full time gig now, or do you still have like your other p- like profession that like pays pays the yeah. bills or? Yeah, I, I, I still work full-time. So you do this on top of yep. your regular job. Wow, yeah. okay, that's impressive. So I have four kids. You know, one just graduated college, one's in college, and then two younger ones. So, I mean, I can't stop working. I mean, okay. this is fun, and it's a it's a labor of love, and I enjoy it. And we do make money at it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is it Which is you income. should. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the amount of work that goes into this thing, I think it shows in the show, like you'd mentioned. Like, it's it's an 11-month out of the year, you know, job. Like, we, we take about a month off, and then it's – especially for me, I mean, Grant does a lot as well. It's back to, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I run the Instagram for the most part. He'll contribute and, and we have some other folks, but I mean, you know how that is. That's a full-time job, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, to keep the content up and make it entertaining and people want to look at it and like it and follow and all that. I mean, that's, that people hire people for that and I'm doing it. We're doing it on top of everything else. Yeah. So it never ends. I mean, it, it, but I, I need the, you know, the steady income. I need the health insurance and all that good stuff. Grant is a little different position. He's married and his wife works and does well. Um, and he flips bikes and parts and, and hustles, but he doesn't have a regular full-time job. Yeah. But like you said, if the show, mm-hmm. we've said this a million times to anybody who listen, the, the day it stops being fun, we will not do it. Yeah. Um, the money we make at it is great, but it's not worth doing the show if it's not fun and it's a big hassle and a big problem and we just stop doing it, you know, let's go yeah. do model train show or something like, yeah. that, you know, well, um, yeah, we're, we're running a little bit short on time now, but one of the things I wanted to touch on too was the, the aspect of the grass pass. You know, I, I always tell people, first of all, I always tell people, if you're just going to go to one motorcycle show in a year, born free is the best. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, we, we won't even ask Mike's opinion of that because I'm, you know, you don't think he was biased, but, I've been to a lot of motorcycle shows. I think Keith has too. And Born Free is awesome, especially if you live in Southern California and you're just going to go to one show. Born Free is by far the best. Um, And it's worth traveling for too. Like a lot of the rides I go on and things like that, I tell people, if you're local, if you're in the area, go on the ride. Or if you're local and you're in the area, go to this show. 
Born Free is one of those things that it's worth traveling to. Um, you know, like, I don't want to compare it to Sturgis, but, you know, people travel from around the world to go to Sturgis. This show, even if you just do it, you know, once, it's worth traveling to go to. It's it's that big and it's that, go- that good. So let's let's go into the grass pass thing because I think one of the coolest things, I always buy the grass pass every time I go, by the way. Talk a little bit about the grass pass uh, at, in, you know, in, in other, I guess, parking situations. I think it's just so cool to ride onto the grass and, like, be part of the big environment and the big show. Talk just briefly about that. So, so yeah, so we have, you know, the admission, there's two ways to do it. We'll talk about the grass pass first. So we came up with this idea because we ride motorcycles. So like a lot of other promoters that don't, they're not in the space that they're promoting, they don't know how it works or what the benefits are. So we decided to sell this pass, this band you wear, and you, and you need one if you're, pa- if you have a passenger, the passenger needs one, need, needs one as well. And you go in a different line, you don't wait, you flash your pass and last year we had a scanner. We bring you right in. You don't take your helmet off. You don't turn your bike off to pay for admission and all the crap that happens when you go to a show. Then you can't start your bike or it's overheating or, you know, a million other issues that bikers have. So we created this thing where it's just, it's, we called it the fast pass at first, kind of like Disneyland. And then we just decided to call it the grass pass. So you buy it. It's the same as admission. We only sell 3,000 of them per day. So the show's two days. We didn't cover that, but we went to a two-day show because there's just too much to do, too much to see. So each day we sell 3,000, and those are pre-sold, and we're almost sold out for Saturday now, and I think we have a little bit of Sunday left. Um, you buy them online, you buy them from us at an event, even though there hasn't been a lot of events, you know, Long Beach Swap Meet, whatever, and then that gets you in uh, in this line. So you get in, you get in early. So as soon as the show is set, our official hours are 10 to 5, but literally we open at 8. Mm. So if you're there and we're ready, we let the grass passers in. So the benefits of having it is, you get, like you said, you get to come right in, you don't get off your bike. You, you show them your band. They check it. You go right in. You park your bike on the grass. You essentially become the show. Now, whether you want to show your bike, it's some you're proud of it. You want to show it, or you just want to park on the grass and smuggle in beer or be with your friends or whatever. It's a great way you're in. And it also that's the other reason why we 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 limit our vendors is we want enough room for motorcycles. I mean yeah. that's the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you come in and now you're on the grass. You're in the shade or wherever you are. You're your bike's part of the show and it's, it's a great thing. And it doesn't matter if you're next, if you're riding a brand new bike and you're parked next to a knucklehead, we don't separate them. You know, we have our little areas like we talked about that have all these different nuances going on. But if you're riding and you're on a BMW tour bike and you're on a brand new Harley, you guys are coming in together. You're staying together. We're not telling you to go over here and you to go over there and try to create the separation and then you're pissed and like you want to be with your buddies. So it's worked out really well. So the grass passes do sell out, and we're almost out of Saturday. We would have been well out before. That usually goes after a few months of selling, but the COVID thing and the show's yeah. still up in the air, and we've had some challenges. But um, Sunday we still have quite a few, and then we have just general admission. General admission is if you're driving your car, or if you're riding a bike, or you're riding a moped, and you park in the parking lot and you walk up and you pay at the gate. That's day of. This is always tricky every year. We, we, we don't do a great job of explaining everything. We probably need to have like a YouTube or a video how to do admission because this is the most asked question all year long. Yeah. And then when we sell out of grass passes, people think we're sold out of the show. Oh, we yeah. try to explain to them, no, that's just to have your bike inside. You can still park in the parking lot. You pay at the gate. You walk in. We'll never sell that out. Or if we did, we'd, you know, we'd be rich. 
Um, <laughs> but so there's, there's those two things. General admission is day of only, and then the grass pass we pre-sell because we only have a certain amount of room. Once we get to that number, that's it. Because with, between the 3,000 bikes that we sell to and all of our vendors and sponsors, there's probably another 1,000 bikes. There's 4,000 motorcycles inside the grounds. Huge. Then you go in the parking lot and you could have a bike show in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got the drone footage. I mean, there, there's five, six, seven, eight thousand bikes in the parking lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's pretty incredible. But I, I recommend everybody, if you can get the grass pass, get it because it's worth it to just roll up on the grass, park your bike on the grass, and you're literally footsteps from like the main show. Yeah, it's pretty Yeah, you're it's super such cool. a cool venue. You're in front of the stage, you're in front of the, you know, San Diego area, in front of, the, you know, sp- sponsors. Like it's not, you're not crammed way over there i mean we do have a lot of bikes to park so not everybody can be right up front but if you get there early you're coming up front so we we work from the stage back but you're still inside you know you're not out there in the dirt so if you you know it's it's still dusty but if you have some show bike you want to show and you know this is a great and that's another way to get involved whether you're trying to win an award or you want to be a builder we walk the grounds i mean grant and i and and others all day long i mean i think last year i walked 22 miles on saturday Dang. Um, uh, you, I'm, we, we walk the grounds and we're looking for bikes and we're marking them for awards or we're talking to guys who rode from, we have a rider award and stuff like that with our awards, you know, and, and we have to find those people, you know, yeah, and like, cool. oh man, your bike's cool. Oh, I rode from Florida just to come to your show. And we, you know, get him up on stage or give him an award or do something and acknowledge that this guy just rode all the way out here from Florida on a sh- sportster or whatever, you know, so we try to make people feel special as we can. You know, and and, yeah. and and make them feel like they're welcome and wanted. Yeah. You know, a lot of shows don't do that. I mean, I, I've gone to a lot of shows before we even started this, and, you know, they're yelling at you over here, yelling at you over there, don't care if you're there or not. Like, we care that all those people are there and want to make sure that they're all having fun. And if there's anything we can do to make their experience better, we will. And it shows. I mean, I felt that, you know, right away. Um, yeah, and, and I think everybody that is, is go, goes there, feels like, hey, I'm part of this community. This isn't some type of like niche group click in Southern California where if you don't know somebody, you're not. I mean, there's so many people there. It's so inclusive that it's just, it's a really cool environment. Talk a little bit sure. of Mike about, um, so your show is normally in August, right? And it's, uh, no, June, June, sorry. Your show's usually in June and you've delayed it at this point to September. Uh, talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about how COVID is kind of um, changing your, your schedule a little bit. So yeah, usually we do it the week after father's day, the weekend. Okay. So it's a two day show. And then we, we threw the race in there. Like we talked about, it's usually the Thursday night. So <clears throat> this year it was the 27th and 8th of June. And then right about April ish, we, we started thinking that this isn't going to be able to happen for June. You know, the COVID thing was really exploding and, and it was just not the right time to even consider doing it in June. So we figured, well, if we move it out five months, we should be in a safe zone. We didn't want to get into October because out in that area where we're in or where the show is, you know, they get the Santa Ana winds and stuff like that. And October can be a tricky month. You can have some severe heat and you can have a lot of wind and there's fire danger and all the things that are associated with, with that weather pattern. So we decided, you know, the end of September is a good time. Typically it's cooler than June. And um, you still have the leaves on the trees because that area, like, you know, if you haven't been there, it's a big park and, the trees and the grass and the beauty of it is part of what makes the show what it is. So going out there, you know, in the dead of winter with, you know, dead grass and no leaves give a different look. Yeah. So we figured that into September date and also being mindful and aware of others that were doing shows in September, 
not to step on dates and stuff like that. Um, that was really the only date we can do. So we, we changed it to the 26th and 7th of September, which is coming up here, you know, basically two months from now. Mm-hmm. Um, the COVID thing has definitely been a challenge. And it's not just for the show and for us, but, you know, all the builders that were building bikes that, you know, had to deal with this serious issue and then not having, you know, places open, you know, parts houses or chromers or painters or whatever. So it's been a challenge for everybody. Um, You know, the show's two months away and anything can happen in two months. I mean, it's a, it's, it's changing every single day is if anybody's following this stuff, like there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. Mm -hmm. One day we're looking great and everything's going great. And in fact, Orange County, people don't know it's a lot different than L.A. County and stuff like that. Orange County was way ahead of the curve. And I mean, they were going to go to stage four on uh, July 1st, which a lot of people didn't know that. Mm. That's everything. I mean, stage four is basically everything's open, large events and everything. Okay. That obviously changed with, you know, the latest cases and data and all that stuff, whether you believe it or you don't, whatever. It's there. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> it is. And, you know, we, we understand motorcyclists, you know, they have a free spirit and, and they want to go no matter what. And, but, and we want to have the show no matter what. However, we have to be mindful and careful and people's safety. And we want the look of the show. We also want the experience to be the same, you know, yeah. coming to your firstborn free, or if you've been to all of them, we want to make sure that you're getting the experience that you, that you expect. And we want to live up to all those expectations. So doing some cut rate show, under protest without all the nuances that the show offers. Like we don't want to do that. It's not fair to our sponsors. It's not fair to all builders. It's not fair to the people that are coming. So we want to try to have the show as close as possible as the previous year with a bunch of the new ads that we're doing. So there's a bunch of new stuff to make it even better. So we're, we're, we're monitoring the situation every day. We deal with the County, the site owner who's been great, the sheriff, the health department, all the agencies involved. I mean, we literally talk to them every day, if not every other day to get the latest Intel, get their gut feeling what it's going to be. As of today, we're two months out. We're, we're still planning on having the show. Um, we have a big meeting next week, I think August 3rd or 4th. That day is probably going to be a real, you know, kind of a sign if, if this is really going to happen or not. And where do people get updated information, like your website, your Instagram? Yeah, so we definitely post everything we get on Instagram. So that's that's a key to follow. Most of the stuff just transfers over to Facebook. I don't like Facebook. I don't like going on there. I don't answer a lot of questions on Facebook. And I know a lot of people just do Facebook. They don't do Instagram. But if you if you do Instagram or if you're thinking about it, that's where we put 95, 99% of everything we do out there. We'll certainly put it on our website. And then we'll transfer everything to Facebook too, if that's where people go to get their, their information. But we'll, we want to keep everybody informed as anything were to change. And if there's any way we cannot have the show, we want to have everything in place on what to do. So whether you bought a giveaway promo poster ticket combo and you want to know what we're going to do there, or you bought a grass pass or you're a vendor or you're a, a sponsor or a builder, whatever it is, we want to have a plan in place so you know exactly what the protocol is going to be and how all that's going to look. So, you, so you're not worried about it or you're not questioning everything or you're thinking you're going to cheat it on something or whatever. I know some of the shows have had to cancel and postpone over the, the last several months, and some of them have done a good job at that and some of them haven't. So we want to make sure that we have all the information out there, the reasons why. We're not going to make up some story. We're going to tell the, the the reasons why we can't have the show. If we can't, we're still, 
optimistic about having it. I mean, we're working every day on everything. I mean, we just spent $20,000 on merchandise. I wouldn't have done that if I thought there's still not a chance we can do this show, you know, and, and all of our builders are busting their butt every day to get their bikes done. So we're pushing forward, but in the event it doesn't happen, we just want to make sure that everybody's informed. They can get the information clearly, easily. They know exactly what's going to happen and how all that's going to work and look, you know, cool. but we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed and we're hoping that this thing gets under control. You know, the main thing too, is we want to make sure that we have the show the way we want to have it. You know, we've said this a million times. It's a social show. Yeah. So the idea of social distancing doesn't really work for us. Right. You know, the hugging, the kissing, the shaking hands, the looking at the bikes, the, you know, the sharing a cup, you know, the sharing a beer or eating a hamburger <laughs> or hot dog or yeah. eating fries out of your buddy's, yeah. you know, lunchbox. I mean, that's what show's about. I mean, we got people laying on the grass and taking a nap and hanging out and making out and doing whatever they're doing and, you know, doing something where you're wearing a mask and you can't do any of that. Kills the vibe. Yeah, I mean, we'll certainly try our hardest to, to, to do everything we can to make this happen. And if we have to make some concessions, we will keep people safe. But the show is a, it's a social event. Even if you don't like motorcycles, you can come to the show and get your money's worth and then some just on everything we mentioned. The bands, the skateboarding, the, the people watching, the Ferris wheel, the petting zoo, whatever it may be, there's plenty to do. Yeah. You know, one day it was kind of interesting. Uh, I follow Mike on Instagram and he threw out a post. It was like a picture of Bigfoot or something, if I remember right. <laughs> and he just said something like, um, do any, does anybody out there have an experience or have they ever had an, a sighting of Bigfoot? And if so, I want to know about it. And, um, talk for a second, Mike, about what, what's your recent fascination <laughs> of, of Bigfoot? What's that all about? Well, I've always been fascinated with Bigfoot. I mean, any, any monster stuff, really, even since I was little, I, I love monster movies, horror movies, you know, Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot. I mean, I grew up in the seventies and older than you guys, but you know, in search of, and the $6 million man, all the shows that were on in the seventies that had some kind of Bigfoot connection. Like I was into it, you know, I saw the old Bigfoot footage, you know, that was in the sixties and just, you know, in grammar school, when they did those book things where you order book fair, I'd always get Bigfoot books or, you know, legend books or something like that. I don't know why I was just always into it. And then, um, you know, like the last, I don't know, 10 years ago, you know, there was Bigfoot shows on TV, you know, documentaries and finding Bigfoot and all this crap. So, I mean, I just started watching it just like the bike stuff, like any of that reality TV I was into. So I just got super into it. And then, uh, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with, uh, actually a buddy of mine, Jason Weber and, 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 uh, Turkey Stopnik and they were into Bigfoot. I had no idea <laughs> that anybody was even into Bigfoot. Right. And that we start talking about it and like, you know, what it is and where it is and all this stuff like that. And then they turned me on to this podcast, this Sasquatch Chronicles podcast. I don't know if you guys listen to it or not. No, I haven't. It's amazing. I'll right. This guy, Wes, he's up in Seattle or Pacific Northwest. And he basically just has real encounters on there. It's not a bunch of crap, uh, you know, like the, some of the TV shows yeah. are out there hooping and hollering and acting stupid. Like these are real people that have nothing to gain. Sure. Sharing mm -hmm. their experience, like nothing at all. Mm -hmm. So I listen to that thing religiously, you know, and then there's a few others out there and just figuring out like, man, there's a lot of people that are into it. And a lot of people are seeing this thing. I mean, I've never yeah. seen one. I want to trust me badly. And we've gone <laughs> camping and, and, you know, we're making trips and stuff like that. And we're playing. In fact, the whole COVID thing really blew it all, everything open because we were going to go in March and May and all this stuff like that. And been researching spots, even in Southern California, I read all kinds of um, old accounts Believe it or not, Southern California has a rich history of, of 
Bigfoot, wild man, whatever you want to call it, yeah. sightings. I mean, you can go back and look at, you know, Long Beach Press from 18, whatever, and, you know, some hairy wild man's looking in a window in Long Beach, <laughs> you know, and if certainly Long Beach looked different back then. And, and then up in the mountains, obviously, that's everywhere. And like I said, I grew up in Fresno, which is at the foothills of the Sierra Mountains or, you know, um, of the Sierras. So there's a lot of stuff going on up there. So anyway, I don't know why. I'm just totally obsessed with it, you know read, watch. So then, yeah. So then I threw some stuff out there, just like I was selling a bunch of stuff and I just was trying to make jokes. I'm like, I'm selling it all to become a Bigfoot researcher, <laughs> you know, cause people like, you know, they see me selling 50 things. They're like, what are you doing? You, you moving? I'm like, well, I'm trying to move too, but yeah, I'm selling it so I could, you know, do my Bigfoot research. So it started to become like a joke. Uh-huh. And then it's funny. Then you hit me up and you told me that you had like an encounter. Yeah, so um, let me get into that. So I was actually, it was the winter of, it was like January of 2001. I was actually up in a little town called Greenville. It's like Northern California. Um, it's like north of Tahoe area. It's by a lake called Lake Almanor. You can look it up. Not many people know about it or go there, but there's like, there's Greenville and there's Chester. Um, it's kind of by Susanville a little bit. Anyway, so I was actually up there. I was actually a on a, a church service mission, you know, for my church and, um, my, my companion and I, my buddy who, who I was working with, we were driving down the road in our Toyota Camry and it was snowing outside. There was snow all over, it was snow on the road and we were driving, you know, pretty carefully and up in the distance, you know, we were just outside of like Greenville, if you want to know the location, which a lot of the sightings are in Northern California, a lot of sightings are in California. So that all, you know, checks off and it makes sense, but we saw what looked like a furry animal. And, and by the way, as, as a disclaimer, I, I, you know, I don't really buy into that. I'm not, if you know me, I'm a pretty logical guy. I don't really try to believe in mythological creatures and stuff like that, but I know what I saw. And I'm just gonna tell you guys what I saw. <laughs> and my only logical explanation is that I saw a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch. I cannot think of anything else it could have been. So we look, we look up in the distance. It was probably about uh, the length of a football field in front of us, you know, uh, 100 yards. And it was, like, crouched. And then all of a sudden, it was on four, kind of on four legs, um, what looked like legs. And then all of a sudden, it stood up on two hind legs. And it had to have been seven to eight feet tall. It, and it was a furry, like, I thought it was like a skinny bear at first. And then it got up on two legs. And then it ran on two legs. And I, I, I don't know much about bears, but I don't think they can run really fast on two legs. Yeah, and know, if they, they do run. I've seen them walk, but I've never seen them run. Yeah, I don't think they run except for if they're on all Especially fours. Especially in the wild. You might be able to train one and do that, but not a wild <laughs> a I've wild never bear. seen a bear run this fast on four legs, um, but or on two legs, excuse me. This thing got up. It was very tall a little bit more slender than your typical bear, and it ran off into the woods on two legs. And then my buddy and I looked at each other at the same time, and we just, like, wide eyes and just <laughs> said, neither one of us wanted to say it because neither one of us wanted to be the guy that's like, oh, I just saw Bigfoot. But we're, yeah. like, almost at the exact same time, we're like, is that a Bigfoot? <laughs> like, I could not believe wow. my eyes, and I thought about it. I still think about it to this day because I still have that, that image ingrained in my head of this creature standing up on two legs, super tall and taller than me. I'm six foot six, taller than me. And, and we were driving towards it. And as we got maybe 50 yards away or so, that's when we kind of spooked it or whatever. And it didn't just like ran off into <coughs> the woods or whatever. 
So that's that's my encounter. That's my experience. Take it for what it is. I'm like Mike. I've never had an encounter, but I really wish I would. Like, I've sp- I spent countless hundreds of hours as a kid hiking and camping, and every night you go on, you know, Bigfoot hunt, snipe hunt, whatever you want to call it. Go r- running around in the wilderness at night or in the desert or whatever, looking for whatever you can find out there. But, man, I I I mean, if you've been, spent any time out in the wild, in California, or Northern California, Oregon, Washington. It's entirely possible, man. There are some areas out there that you ain't never going to get to unless you want to walk three, four, five days, you know, on your own. They're not accessible by roads. It's super remote. And, you know, I was like, I was I was watching some Bigfoot stuff last night. My kids were like, what are you watching Bigfoot for? I was like, we're having a podcast tomorrow, <laughs> man. And I'm like, I'm really interested in this stuff. And what the one guy that I came across, he was actually on Rogan's podcast, as a, this guy named Les Stroud, Survivor Man. And he, he went and spent like a whole week out in the wilderness in like Canada searching for, you know, any signs of Bigfoot. And he just to straight up tell you, like, I didn't have an encounter. Um, I believe they're real. And he gives a lot of, like, information about it. And the biggest compelling argument is, like, in the, I guess in his area, uh, the Native American tribes, they have, like, uh, there's, like, 200. He said there was 200 different names for Bigfoot, Squatch, whatever you want to call mm. it. But in their own language, they have two different. And why would they have that? And th- so, like, and he was explaining how... Like, they have all these rituals in their tribes, and they're all based on real creatures like the eagle, the bear, the deer, the caribou, all these different. They all have their own, like, little part of their, and in, in the middle of, like, 21 different, like, creatures that we've all seen, there's a Bigfoot. Like, straight up, no denying that there's a Bigfoot image and name for it and everything. Like, mm. and why would these people have this that are relative? I mean, they're modern now, but when they came across all stuff, it wasn't. They weren't, like, highly contacted by Westerners or whatever. And so he's, like, pointing out, like, why would they have that if it, they've never yeah. seen one? They wouldn't make that up. Like, why, right. why would they make that There's up? There's no TV to kind of learn about it. So then he was explaining, too, like, the that area of the Pacific Northwest and how, you know, like, the theory of how people migrated from when the landmass was one big landmass across, you know, the Alaska area and down through the north is, like, where people normally have these sightings is, like, makes a lot of sense. Like, hey, dude, that's where these things could be. And... I would trip. I don't know. I mean, I wish I would. I wish I had the time and effort to go find one. I'm gonna be searching for it too. Well, well so Matt, I hate you because you saw one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's like a class A sighting, man. That's like I, I I'm like a Bigfoot expert. <laughs> no, no, a. no one's really a Bigfoot expert, right? Because yeah. most of these people have never seen one, so they call yeah. themselves that. But I've watched hours and hours. I mean, thousands and thousands of hours of shows. I've yeah. listened to every podcast, read books. And exactly what you just said, you know, it's down on the, on the, you know, four legs, the thing stands up, runs across the road. I mean, thousands and thousands of people have had that experience. So is everybody telling, is everybody lying? I mean, is everybody mistaken? Then you get federal judges and wildlife people and cops and, you know, lawyers and everybody from society all over the place who've seen stuff and then the historical stuff, Teddy Roosevelt and Daniel Boone and, all these people over over history that have had accounts with you know Harry Wildman or whatever, it's like mm-hmm. is everybody making this up? I mean, I if, if one person is telling the truth, the thing's real. What it is, who knows? I mean, that's the the big argument, yeah. you know. And a lot of these Bigfoot dudes, you know, are horrible at with each other. It's just almost like motorcycles, like they're you know the politics is nuts. Yeah, you know? really. But um, you know, I believe that it's real. What it is, I don't know. Oh, like Mike was saying though, like the the like realm of Bigfoot believers there's like a big spread of like what the people think these things are like 
you know, whether it's like a, you know, a lesser evolved, you know, humanoid creature or some people think it's like a, an alien and they can actually like, there's all these explanations about how they can bend time and bend the camera angles so that they can't get caught on camera and all this yeah. stuff. It's, it's a crazy world. Like when you start looking into it and there's a lot of hoaxers out there too, man. Like sure. there, there's some, that that's the, probably the worst part of it. Cause these guys are hoaxing the hoaxers or whatever you want to call it. And then they get found out and then it's like, all oh, the whole thing's a big lie. It's yeah. like, well, no, how do you know that? You don't know that. You just saw that this particular guy was BSing, but that don't mean everyone's, yeah, experience wasn't real. I, I mean, I don't go around telling my story. Um, I just bring it up when the subject comes yeah. up among friends and everything. Because, like I said, I'm not some big believer, but I know what I saw without a, without any doubt. Yeah. I know what I saw. And there's no other logical explanation for it. Yeah. There, there's it people just like you. They've taken lie detector tests and they've done all that and they've come back, you know, that they're not lying about it. And yeah. there's just there's just no way that this thing isn't real. There's just too many people that have seen it, you know, one one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, there like you said, there's a lot of hoaxers and people that are trying to get famous. But what going on a podcast and telling your story? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much fame you're going to get from that. Yeah. Right. You know, and then you got guys on military bases and all this stuff that have seen these things, and they're all over the world too. You know, it's not just mm. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. If you follow it enough, you'll see that it's. I mean, they're out in the desert and in Arizona and. You know, all in the south and, you know, Florida, you know, Florida has a big deal. I mean, in, in some of the hoax stuff, it's like you're out in the middle of the swamp at two o'clock in the morning with poisonous snakes. And there's a million things that'll kill you in like, you know, briars that are four inches thick that, you you know, you walk through them, you die. And then they see some big thing moving around where they think that that's not real. Like who would go out there? And, and take that kind of chance yeah. to create a hoax, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and you hear all these things and, you know, unfortunately the footage and the cameras and stuff and who knows why, you know, there is, a f there are a few pictures out there that are pretty good and videos and stuff. And I know that's a big part of it. Like, Oh, everything's grainy and yeah. everything's guys running and stuff. It's like, well, maybe if you had that experience, who knows? I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to pull out my cell phone, be calm, get the thing on camera, get the thing on video and start videoing this thing when I'd probably be yep. so terrified unless you know something like what you would in a car mm -hmm. how do you even you know how would you even do it you know yeah, i don't yeah. think i could do it yeah you know well back when i saw it too like there were no cameras on cell phones back then sure. you know? so like we didn't have a camera in the car i, I wish i wish so much we i would have was able to videotape yeah. that but anyways there's there's some good uh documentaries too out there even even beyond the bigfoot thing i don't know if you've ever seen that, that missing 411 no. you seen that mm -hmm. You got to watch that. This is like this David Politi's guy. He's like an ex San Jose detective or whatever. Now he's retired and he spends all his time on mis like mysterious missing cases. Okay, he's got a few documentaries and books. R really respected guy. And um, if you find out how many people go missing in national parks in the United States, you die. Oh really? I mean, really? like in Yosemite, like oh go up Yosemite sounds great. I mean thousands. Wow. Upon thousands of people are missing huh. in these 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 uh, national parks. I mean just disappear just wow. gone you know up at up at shasta in those areas i mean they just they just vanish Dang. you know so there's Dang. all kinds of theories behind all this stuff but sure. i go down a million rabbit holes you know <laughs> yeah. bigfoot's my thing i'm not into ghosts i don't care about anything else you know skinwalkers and all the other crap that are going on yeah, but yeah. Big, anything mm -hmm. bigfoot i'll listen to and it's funny as soon as i put that post up another matt matt uh olson who's one of been one of our builders and him and his dad have Olson's cycle splites, like world famous knucklehead restorer guys. He had an ex he had an, a sighting in South Dakota or North Dakota, wherever he lives, uh, when he was younger with a girl out on a date, driving on some farm road, and the thing ran right in front of the road. 
I mean, this mm. guy is this country bumpkin, apple pie, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> sounds like, you know, Gomer Pyle when he talks. I mean, Matt's an awesome guy, but I mean, he's just a real salt of the earth kind of guy, yeah, yeah. not some, you know, L.A. liar. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he told me about it, and he's like, oh, man, he's like, me and my girl, we were going on a date, and the thing ran right across the road just like you, seven, eight feet tall, covered in hair. Yeah. It's like, who's going to be out, you know, you know, in, a, in the snow in South or North Dakota, where he lives, running across a farm road in the middle of nowhere? No one. Exactly. Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, like, I mean, anyway, we're hoping to have him. We're hoping to have him at Born Free. <laughs> if anybody has a um, has a body, we'll give you a free booth. Twenty twenty has been weird, man. They already admitted that they're they've they have an alien craft for real in oh, uh, yeah. Area Fifty One. So maybe they got Sasquatch too. <laughs> they're just waiting to tell us. Uh, well, they're definitely knows? covering it up. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. The government's covering up this for sure. Yeah. Well, if, if Bigfoot showed up to Born Free, I think that would be the most Let's epic so. motorcycle event of all time. Heck yeah. But you see Sasquatch riding in on a panhead chopper? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'll wear a costume. I got one. <laughs> I bought one. I bought I bought this full blown. It's a movie. It's Hell a movie yeah. costume. This B movie, oh, Bigfoot movie. This guy was on Offer Up, and I saw it. I'm like, what? Some Brazilian guy. He's like, yeah, they made a B movie with this costume, I don't know, a few years ago. It was actually really, it's a good one. It doesn't look like some of the ugly ones in I bought the whole thing was like 400 bucks. <laughs> and every time I'd done my own personal little raffles or whatever, I put my kid in it and then uh, film Bigfoot, you know, pulling the, the number or whatever. But you should hire, some, you should hire somebody to wear it all day weekend. Just oh, lurk, yeah. Just lurk in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> just lurk on people that in the trees. That would be rad, man. So if anybody's uh, listening, has any Bigfoot stories, hit me up. Yeah, yeah, hit up Mike. We have a Bigfoot or story. Or want to go Bigfooting. We have a Bigfoot story time at Born Free this year. Yeah. 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 Set up a campfire. Campfire. You yeah. need to make a T-shirt, a Born Free T-shirt with Bigfoot. Oh, I, I did one years ago uh, okay. with my own blog thing. I had that Bigfoot on a chopper. So oh, I've nice. been into it for a while. I mean, it okay. just it just blew up recently because guys like you and yeah. people seem to be interested and it's fun. Yeah, it's cool. But uh, I'm into it. So if anybody wants to talk, I care more about Bigfoot than bikes. <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael, we've gone way over time. Appreciate yeah. you uh, donating your time to us and being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having you here. And for those of you watching, check out the description of the video and also up here, I'm going to link in all the social media and the website for a Born Free show if you haven't been. Definitely check it out. You will not regret it. Hopefully we have it this year. Hopefully COVID doesn't get in the way. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Mike. Hope to you know see you and talk to you in the future and look forward to you know future shows and Born Free and everything. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for watching, guys. Talk to you later. See ya. All right, thank you.